It is great to be with you this morning. And Scott, thank you for your kind words and for reading the passage for us. That passage has become really important to me. When I was about 20 or so, somebody gave me a book called Abiding in Christ by Andrew Murray. I don't know if you guys have read that book. It's not very long. It's really short. But it took me forever to read because it had stuff in it that was so deep spiritually that I had to really wonder, is this true? Is Jesus really the vine? Does he really make available to us everything that is in him? And how then should we make available to him everything that is in us? So in my 20s, it was my first kind of foray into full-time ministry. I would say probably the six first six to eight years, you could probably describe me as chasing after God, pursuing him with my whole heart because I wanted to know him and I wanted to serve him. And I was making sacrifices to make sure that I could just do the best that I could to honor him. And while all of that is really good, I think sometimes I was concentrating more on what I could do for God than what God could do for me or through me. And so my picture was of me chasing after God, not me resting in God, not this picture of the branches in the vine. And so you guys might kind of know where the story would be going to, um, but I kind of, I got burned out and I came to an end of myself. And so my picture stopped being of me chasing after God. And instead my picture of discipleship became a picture of God on his throne, high and glorified, in me, small, crawling into his lap and just sinking in. In me, resting in God and him providing for me all that I needed and taking care of me. I don't know if any of you can identify with any part of that story. Maybe the chasing after God instead of the resting in him. Or maybe the concentration on what you can do for God instead of what he could do through you. But I'm so thankful for this picture in John 15. And it seems like when God has important spiritual truths to teach us, he often puts it in a physical picture that we can understand. And we can continue to unpack it over time. So in John 15, 5, as Scott just read, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this scripture has some encouraging words, but it also has some hard words in it too. And we will continue to unpack that this morning. But in this verse and in this passage, the whole thing kind of goes uh, chapter 15, 1 through 17. And we'll kind of talk about all of it. Jesus uses the word, the Greek word is meno, which means to abide in, to remain in, to stay in, to make your home there, to dwell in. And I think you know in scripture, if something is repeated two times, it means that it's significant. If something is repeated three times, then we're really meant to lean in and listen because it's really important. Well, in the course of 10 verses in this chapter, Jesus repeats the same word. And we need to lean in and really understand what he's saying, that we are to abide in and stay in him. So let's look at the context because that's really important to understand it. You guys might know. The other thing is, is if you are reading through the Bible on our Bible through the year reading plan, you're going to come to this chapter this week. So that's part of why we want to talk, um, talk about it today to kind of unpack it in our series of disruptive discipleship on what that looks like. But the context is this. 
Jesus is with his disciples on the last night before he's going to be captured and then crucified. He has already washed his disciples' feet. And so right now he is in the process of downloading every high-level piece of information that he can to his disciples because he knows the disciples' mission that they have. They have this huge mission before them that they are to go into all the world to communicate Christ's love, God's forgiveness for them, and that God is desiring this relationship. But he also knows all the obstacles they face. Jesus knows that in a matter of a couple of hours, these disciples will be, um, they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. They will, all kinds of bad things will be said about them. People will try to kill them, and they will be tempted to fall away. So it's in light of this overwhelming mission and in light of these overwhelming obstacles that Jesus says, the only way that you're going to make it is by abiding in me. And the message is the same for us today because we still have that same mission to go into the world and to tell everyone about God's love and his forgiveness and his desire for a relationship And it's an overwhelming mission. And we all face obstacles, whether it's connected to that mission or just connected to being human and in this world. The trials that we face in our families, whether it's with relationships or the the medical news that we might get of things that we're facing that there's no answer to. We face these obstacles. And Jesus says, there is no way that you can do this without abiding in me. And so we want to unpack this today. And I want to talk about that there's a difference between believing and abiding. We believe primarily with our head. We can have a mental assent to knowledge, to saying we know who God is, we know this is truth, but that is different than abiding and remaining in. The abiding includes our will and it includes our heart. It includes all of us. So In the Bible, in James, it says that the demons believe that there is one God, and they shudder. They believe, but they don't abide. And we know that Jesus talked about the Pharisees, and he applies Isaiah to them, and he says, your lips honor me, but your hearts are far from me. If you think about the Pharisees, they believed God. They spent a lot of time in his word and studying about God, but they did not abide in God. So today, I think this message is for us. What does it look like to truly abide in God? Andrew Murray talks about the starting point of that and how we should approach it in his book, Abiding in Christ. He said, think not so much of yourself as a branch, nor of the abiding as your duty, until you have first had your soul filled with the faith of what Christ as the vine is. He really will be to you all that a vine can be, holding you fast nourishing you, and making himself every moment responsible for your growth and for your fruit. That's what it is to abide. Jesus holding us, Jesus nourishing us, Jesus bearing fruit through us. But in order to kind of unpack this, the starting point is understanding the vine and who Jesus is. We are called to abide in Christ's love. I think we all know how much God, well, we know that God loves us. I don't think we always comprehend how much God loves us. And I appreciate what Hunter said at the beginning, the idea of Jesus coming to earth. 
You know, when we think about Jesus being in heaven and he chose, he willfully left that to come to this dirt and water planet just to be with us and then to give himself as a sacrifice, but then to continue with us. It's that love that even though we know in our heads, we have to push into and abide in. I asked um, a woman once, we had been talking, what her view of God was. And I appreciated her honesty because I think it captures a lot of our view. A lot of times we don't abide in Christ because we don't have the correct picture of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And I asked her, I said, so when you know that you have sinned, how do you picture God responding to you? What's your view of him? And she kind of chuckled. She said, I know this isn't biblical, but this is the honest truth. I picture God and he has white hair and a white beard. He kind of looks like Santa Claus. And he's sitting on a wooden chair, and next to him is this like old school rolling blackboard. And in one hand, he has chalk, and in another hand, he has a stick. And on the board, he has two columns. In one column, he has all the good things that I've done today. And in the next column, he has all the bad things I've done today. And at the end of the day, I'm just hoping that my good outweighs the bad, and it never does. And so my picture of God is that he is continually disappointed with me. Can anyone else identify with that? If we are to abide in Christ, we are to abide in Christ's love and how the Bible shares his love with us. We're not to abide in this picture of condemnation. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not to abide in this eternal sense of disappointment. The only thing that the Bible says that God is rich in is mercy. It never runs out. He has mercy that is new for us every single day, and he continues to pour it out. We are not to abide in our weakness, but we are to abide in Christ's love, and we have to know that from the bottom of our hearts. I recently talked to a friend who is a missionary in the inner city, and he described his journey in ministry. He said, at first, when I began ministry, I saw God as my slave master. And it took me a long time to move to be able to see God as my Lord and my friend. He said, it changed everything I did. It changed who I was. It changed how I approached life. And I think that same thing is true. And it's in this passage that Jesus tells us, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Everything that I have learned from the Father, I make known to you. We have to abide in Christ's love that welcomes us in as his friend. And as we abide in Christ's love, we start to know the heart of God, who he is. So the things that he cares about becomes the things that we care about. So when his heart is for the lost and the oppressed and the poor, our heart becomes for the lost and the oppressed and the poor and the marginalized. And when we read scripture and we see that Jesus weeps with those who mourn, then in our hearts, we're going to weep with those who mourn. If we abide in the love of Christ, our hearts become so bound with God that our hearts want the same thing he does. So in this passage, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. He can say this on the basis that our hearts are bound with his and the things that I want are the things that he wants. And so my prayers will start to produce fruit in the world, the things that he desires. But we have to be rooted in Christ's love. 
If we are rooted in a false picture of who God is, we will never abide with him. Okay, so in talking about abiding being different than believing, believing just as this head knowledge, perhaps, of God, how do we start to move from believing to abiding? Jesus calls us into this relationship that's a deep relationship. And I think a lot of us, and I'm preaching to myself here, a lot of us want to stay distant. And the picture that came to mind one day when I was driving to work, because I was thinking about this for myself too, was that of me cheering for a favorite football player on a favorite football team that isn't the Colts. So I apologize. But maybe you guys could have in your mind who your favorite team is, whether it's football, soccer, basketball, whatever it is, and the person that you love to cheer for. I love to cheer for this person because he's so athletic and he's amazing and you never know what he's going to do next. It always seems like there's a new play that has never happened before and it's really a lot of fun. But to be honest, I could care less about any of his interests. If somebody were to say, like, hey, do you want to meet so-and-so? Nope, I don't. I don't really care. I love to cheer for him, but that's about it. And I think sometimes, and again, even for me, there are times when I know that God does the things that only God can do. I know that he is amazing, but the temptation is to only worship him and not to draw close to him. And so Jesus invites us into this relationship that is this close vine branch relationship where it's dependent upon each other. Now, I know for every community of people, there will be a barrier in relying on God. And so there's some things that we might have to deal with that other people will not have to deal with. Andrew Murray talks about the first step kind of in coming into this abiding relationship with God. He says, the great secret of abiding in Christ is the deep conviction that we are nothing and he is everything. In order to abide, to abide in Christ, we have to know that we are nothing. In our community, I think there's some challenges to that. We have a lot of resources available to us. We have world-class education. We have world-class medical facilities. And there is a real temptation on a daily basis to feel like, I don't really need God. I'm doing pretty okay. It's a temptation we have until there's moments, and you guys have all experienced these moments, and for our students in here, I don't know if you've come to this point yet, but there are moments when we get a glimpse, when our relationships are falling apart, when there are medical issues that cannot be changed or, or addressed by a hospital or a doctor. There's financial things that we can't overcome and we can't get out of alone that we realize we really are nothing. If there's sin that we just can't get out from underneath, we realize we come to an end of ourselves and we need Jesus. Sometimes those come in moments but that's the place where Jesus wants us to stay if we are to abide in him. Jesus talks about a church in Revelation, and you can look it up later too. Revelation 3, and I think this church had a lot in common with the area that they were in. They were, they had, like, they were the banking center, so there was a lot of wealth. They made this glossy black wool, and they had this medical eye salve that brought healing to people. So people would come from all over to them. And when Jesus speaks to them, though, he rebukes them. He says, you think you are rich, but you are poor. And then he gives this picture of you're pitiful, you're blind, and you're wretched. 
Even though they had all of these things, the rebuke is strong. He's saying, you are nothing, but yet you should come to me, he said, because then you will get gold that has been refined by fire, the spiritual wealth. He said, come to me and you will get robes that are white with righteousness, with that forgiveness that can only come through Jesus. And he said, come to me and I will heal your spiritual blindness. Even though we don't often realize our need for Christ, we need him. And Jesus knows that. And it's not until we come to that place of realizing we need Jesus. It's not until then that we can truly start abiding in him. And one of the things that I love about this passage in Revelation 3, in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to this church who already knows him, who already believes in him, to them he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you get that picture? It's a picture of abiding. It's a picture of making your home in Christ. He's painting that picture of sitting down together, having that conversation, maybe even after the meal, relaxing, enjoying each other in just this time of fellowship. It's the picture of making our home with Christ. So if we are to move from just believing in God to truly abiding in him, we have to come to an end in ourselves and know that we need Jesus. But then we have to make our home in him. And I think there are some real temptations for us to keep us from making our home in Jesus. For our students, wherever you guys are sitting, um, I think there is a real temptation, and it's real, to make your home in social media, to find all of your strength, your encouragement, to put all of your time and your focus in social media. And there are things that are good about social media, but that's not where Jesus asks us to make our home or to make our home in Jesus and then visit these other places. But we find our rest in him. For adults, I think some of our temptations might lie in our temptation to make our home in a negative news cycle that has this narrative of hopelessness. And it doesn't matter which political party you identify with more or not. It's all the same. It's the sense of hopelessness. And where we spend our time begins to shape who we are and what we do. And that's not where Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to speak truth into that, but he wants us to make our home in him. And for parents, I think there's a temptation for us with our kids to kind of push them off into the future a little bit. And I, this is my temptation too, a little too far down the road so that the sports teams they are on now when they're young will prepare them for the sports teams that they want to be on later. So that how they do in school now is a preparation for how they will do later. And while all those things are good, if we ask our kids to make their home in the future, it creates this arena of preparation that leads to exhaustion and anxiety. Jesus wants us to prepare for the future, but he wants our home to be in Jesus right now. And we have the responsibility to help our kids find that rest and that home in him. So if we are to make this movement from believing in Jesus with our head to abiding in him with our whole heart, we have to know that we really are nothing without him. We have to lean into him and we have to make our home in him. 
But I want to talk about some differences, some differences between abiding and believing. And the idea is that abiding goes beyond believing. And I want to look at three different things. And the point is to remember that the demons believe there is a God. The Pharisees believed in God, but they didn't abide in him. So the first thing that will result from abiding is fruitfulness. Jesus said, we've already read this first, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know about for you, but for me, these are actually really hard words. Because I kind of feel like sometimes I'm pretty capable and might have a few things to offer. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I wonder for the disciples at that moment if this was a hard word for them too. Because if you think about them, they had cast out demons in Jesus' name. They had performed all of these miracles. Peter had walked on the water. Several of them had seen the transfiguration of Jesus. They had been there in the midst of it doing incredible stuff. A couple of them even asked to sit at the right hand of Jesus in glory. They thought they were pretty good too. Peter never thought he would deny Jesus three times. He never thought he would deny him once. But Jesus knew who he was. And so I think this message that you will not be fruitful unless you abide in me could have come a little harshly to them. But it's his truth. The, the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the Sermon on the Mount stuff that Pastor Eric and Julia have been talking about. All of that inner quality stuff. The, the inner part of us that will love our enemies. That inner part of us that will seek peace. We have the holidays coming up. You guys are going to be with family. We're all going to be with family. You guys might think some of them are crazy or they say crazy things. Do you pursue peace? They kind of might think you're crazy too. Um, who knows? But are you going to be a peacemaker in that situation? What is your heart and what is the fruit that we're bearing? In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, and peace. And this is the stuff that Jesus is pointing to. So remember, when something is repeated several times, we get how important it is. And in this one passage, Jesus, two different times, talks about his command to love others as Jesus has loved us. That is the fruit that he wants in this world. And so as I think about this analogy, I was kind of trying to play it out a little bit and thinking, you know, the branches can't really walk away from the vine. The branches are there. But the thing that the branches can do is they can stop taking nutrients and nourishment from the vine. And Jesus has words for this. He said, those branches will wither and they will be good for nothing. They won't bear fruit. You can't use them. They will only be good for the fire. And yet, if we remain in him and get everything we need from Jesus and offer him everything we have, we will have that abiding relationship with fruitfulness. And so I have a couple of questions, and these are things just to take home and think about. How do we know if you're abiding, or how do you know if you're abiding? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Does the way you interact with people reflect the love of Jesus? The second thing I want to talk about is that abiding leads to obedience. We often would like to think that obedience is optional in our discipleship and journey with Jesus. But Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. First of all, we have to know that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. And we see this close connection between love and obedience, that if we love God, we will obey him. And our obedience will be the proof and the sign that we love him. 
So let's think about the Pharisees, for example. They had a lot of um, obedience, maybe, that they were trying to do to God. They, they try to obey the law, and that's where they abided. They abided in the law, but when they did that, they had obedience that was from duty instead of obedience that was from love. And that's where Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Jesus wants that obedience that comes from the heart and that we love him. The best way that I have understood the role of love and obedience is as a parent. So if I ask my kids to do something, they will show their love for me by obeying. But if they don't obey, I will always love them with my whole heart. That will not change ever. And I think there's some of that with God. I will love them no matter what they do, but there will be a closeness that changes if they are disobeying. There, will, there won't be a communion in that relationship. There will be a little bit of friction. My love doesn't change, but our closeness will change. And I think the same thing is with God. God has an everlasting love for you, but if you're not walking in obedience, it is hard to be close to God. And so obedience is that result of abiding in Jesus. Jesus says that, he says in chapter 14 of John in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey me. And the result of that is my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And it's that same word going back to the minnow in Greek, that abiding. If we love God and obey, we will make our home with him and we will abide. So how do you know if you're abiding? When you read Jesus' words, do you hope you can gloss over the hard parts of his teaching and just follow the easy parts? Or do you evaluate how you can more fully obey and lean into him no matter what? The third thing that I want to talk about, so the difference between believing and abiding. Abiding leads to pruning. In verse 2, Jesus says, My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, this one's hard for me as well too because I think I have the sense that if I am walking with Jesus, if I am close to him, then I should not be pruned. This should save me from having any gardener's shears or cutting coming near me, right? But God says the opposite. There's a lot right now that's being published about viticulture and, and the whole idea, too, of how much the gardener takes care of the vines and the branches, and he pays attention to the soil and, and exactly what they need, but he often pairs back the branches so that there won't just be more fruit, which sometimes happens, but that it will be quality fruit. The fruit is important so that he has to sometimes cut it back. The thing in the picture, though, for us to think about is the gardener is never so close to the branches or to the vine as when he is pruning it. He's holding it. His cuts are exact and precise, and it's exactly what that vine and that branch needs to grow. And the same is true with us. When we experience difficult times, God is never so close. But I do want to say, we will sometimes have difficulties because God is pruning us, and sometimes we will have challenges and obstacles because we live in a sinful world, and we walk around a place filled with evil. 
That is not part of God's hand of pruning. But it doesn't matter whether we have challenges because of God's pruning or because of just being in this evil world. God promises to be close and that we would have his presence and that he would care for us. Romans 8.28 says that God works together all things for the good of those who love him and that he takes intimate care of us. How do you know if you're abiding? In the midst of our trials, do we lean into the Father knowing that we can trust him to carry us through? Do we recoil or do we lean in? Because when he prunes us, our connection with him is going to grow stronger and it's going to grow deeper. So as we look at this abiding, that we need to abide in Christ and in his love and that we need to also um, push into him. And what does that look like to go from believing to abiding? It means that we have to come to the end of ourselves. It means that we have to make our home in him. And then as we live this out, we are going to have the fruitfulness that can only come from God. We're going to have the obedience that is produced by abiding. And we're also going to be pruned, which can be hard, but it's part of God caring for us. So what does this look like on a daily basis? And I just want to say, I don't think this is complicated. I think this is as simple on a daily basis to pray, Lord, I surrender everything to you, and I ask you for your strength to fill me and work through me. It's coming before him to say, Lord, I am nothing. I can do nothing without you. And I just ask for you to, to fill me and I will follow you. So I've had some moments of this kind of just surrendering prayers, which I think is so important in our lives with Christ and as we walk with him. And I kind of have over time have seen patterns. And there's been time, and it took me a while to notice the patterns because there are times when people will call me out of nowhere, whom I have not talked to in years, and ask for prayer. And there's people who will come my way and ask for needs that, that I can meet. And I realize, you know, I have had this time of surrender to God, and then I feel like God positions people to be ministered to because of that. And he's bearing fruit that only he can bear. I have some funny stories. I, I have stories of, of these moments. And these moments almost always take place in my car. So for parents who have kids at home with a really loud home, I get that. And it doesn't mean that we can't abide. It means taking just a moment to yield our heart and to submit our hearts to him. So my car, which is a minivan, has become my sanctuary. It's quiet. No one else is there. And I often just do business with God. So I have these moments in my car where I have these just surrendering prayers. And I've just noticed how God has worked. People have asked me how to start a relationship with him that I have not pursued I have been in ministry, and they know that I love God, but they have come to me, and it's been after I have these times of prayer. So there's, there's one funny story, and it's a common story. So if I were to ask you guys all of your stories of how God has used you, I know they would be amazing, and they would blow me out of the water. And for our missionaries who are listening online, your stories would be overwhelming of God just bearing incredible fruit through you by the way you yield to him every day. But on one of these days, I was, uh, we lived in Michigan at the time, and I was in my car, and I was at some railroad tracks, and I had just the surrendering time of, God, I am nothing, just please use me however you wish, my day is yours. 
Well, later that day, I really wanted to pick blueberries, which we lived in Michigan, so this was not that odd. Our family often went to different orchards and stuff, so I piled the kids in the car. And I said, let's go pick blueberries. And um, they asked, are we going to go to such and such orchard, which was big and well-known. I'm like, no, there's this, there's this little sign with an arrow that's by our church. Let's follow that and see where it goes, because I'm always up for an adventure. So we get in the car. We follow these signs that are just these wooden handwritten signs of this blueberry orchard. And the road takes me like way back winding to what I feel like is the middle of nowhere. They are not dirt roads but it goes way back. And I pull up and there is a parking lot, but there is no one in it. And so I'm feeling like it might be a little bit sketchy at this time. Like, is this really, are they really open? I'm not quite sure. So I'm like, kids, let's just go see if there's like blueberries on the bushes um, because maybe it's all been picked and they're done for the season. And so we get out of the car, we go over there and the owner comes out with buckets and says, here, you guys go ahead and start picking. We are the only ones there. And so I don't feel like I can say no at that point, right? So. We go through and we, and we pick and we go and we pay and there's all of these yard games out that were just really cool. The kids were young, they started playing with them. I was ready to get out of there. And um, the lady asked me, she's like, you know, this used to be my, my father's place and he had built it and the idea was all of these kids would come and play um, and that really hasn't happened. It would just do my heart really good to see your kids enjoy our place. And so I was like, okay guys, 15 minutes and then we're gone. <laughs> So I did. They played, and she invited me onto her porch for a cup of tea. And as we're sitting there, I must have said something to the effect of, you know, I saw your sign by our church, so we started coming. She said, oh, she's like, I, I'm not going to go to church. But I just started reading my Bible. And I've wondered, I wanted to ask someone if you really think the Bible is true. And if so, why? She's like, but I would never go to church. And it hit me at that moment, like this sense of me praying in the morning and then me ending up in the middle of nowhere. There was no one there on this blueberry patch talking to this woman who wouldn't go to church, but who had this need to know if the Bible was true. And so we had this opportunity to talk where I could tell her why I believe this truly is the word of God. And I wonder if abiding to Christ is really that simple. Of us saying yes to God, I yield to you, and then just watching him show up and do the things that only God could do and to bear the fruit that only God could put in place to bear. If you guys have been reading through or coming to the you know, church and the sermons that we've done all year on reading through the Bible, Pastor Eric a while ago preached on King Asa. And if you guys remember the story of King Asa, he started off following the Lord with his whole heart. And when he had a need, he went to God and he asked him, and he saw God do amazing things. But at the end of his life, he decided to rely on human wisdom and to ask a neighboring king to help him instead. He did not rely on God, and he was rebuked for this. And God said to him, the words, it was said to him, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I'm going to read it again. I love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And in the words of Jesus, I think this is those people who are abiding in him, he's looking for those people to strengthen and to pour his strength through. And so today, if you guys, if anyone has come 
feeling like you've been chasing after God more than resting in God. He invites you to abide. And if you come with needs that for you, you feel like are just too much to bear, Jesus knows that. And he invites you to abide in him. And so today, I just want to pray, and um, I want to encourage you that abiding is more than believing, and it's us coming to him with our whole lives, surrendering to him, and then watching him show up and do what only God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw us into this abiding relationship, that we might know you more. If anyone questions how much you love them, I pray that you would reveal it to them today. I pray that we would push into, rely on your love, and we would give our whole lives to you. And we pray that you would be glorified in your name. Amen.